flip this track again, y'all. Welcome in to a almost midnight edition of the Denver Nuggets Daily Podcast. I am TJ McBride, your host. You can find my work over at milehighsports.com. I am the lead beat writer and lead editor over there. And as usual now, because this is official, this is Twitter official, you are now in the bio. Get used to I me, baby. I turn to my co-host, my main man, my number two, the dude who is carrying everything that I cannot carry because I am not that good at what I do, but Brendan Vogt. The proudest number two out there. I'm not Kevin Durant. I'm not salty about my status as number two. Wait, wait, wait. So wait, you're saying that I am not the Trailblazers? I didn't mess up here? Look, I'm saying on, buddy. I'm, I'm perfectly comfortable being the second best player in the world. Here. All, right. All right. Well, as long as you're willing to be the second best, because I don't know if I'm willing to give up the top spot that I don't currently own. And we'll see what kind of goes from there. But we are delirious, and the Nuggets just won 130 to 118 over the New York Knicks for their second straight victory at home. This was a very big game, I thought. I went on the Locked On Nuggets podcast that Adam Morris does with Denver Stiffs. Definitely go check it out. It's one of my absolute favorite Nuggets podcasts. But I said that they, were, that they would beat Portland because they would have a little bit of a fire in their ass and that they would lose to the Knicks. I thought this would have been a letdown game. I was thinking that it would be the most Nuggets thing ever to lose this game, TJ. And I thought we saw some letdown in some specific aspects of the game, right? The backcourt played such great off-ball defense against Lillard and McCollum. Seemed like there was a bit of a let-up tonight. Just a little. Yeah, right? They didn't have that same sort of mental approach to guarding um, Trey Burke and Ron Baker and I others. I freaking hate Trey Burke. I wanted to do this whole podcast on Trey Burke, but TJ shut it down. Yeah, I would have so. torn these microphones out the wall and left so we could <laughs> never speak again about basketball. I have more thoughts on this game, TJ, but before we talk about the basketball, we probably have to shout the Denver Nuggets out for what they did tonight. It was incredible what they did tonight. So there are so the Colorado professional sports teams, there have been pride nights of sorts, but to officially like publicize that they are going to be doing a pride night and that they want to make everything about the pride night and incorporate it into everything they did in terms of operations at the Pepsi Center, it was absolutely, without a doubt, phenomenal the way that they handled it. Tonight. Right, I would imagine it's relatively easy to just put this event on, but they didn't stop there, right? They went well out of their way to make it known. Like, you can feel welcome here, you can feel proud here, and TJ, we saw probably the best kiss cam in the history of professional that sports is such, I'm so happy you led with that, because, so first of all, Katie Wingy, who was absolutely fantastic in doing all of this, she does a great she job. She interviewed, I believe he is the the head of marketing, I can't, remember, I can't remember what his title was, and I'm so sorry, I can't remember but one of the big ups at one colorado they are dedicated to advancing equality and opportunity for lesbian gay bisexual trans transgender and queer coloradans and their families so they they didn't just have pride night they brought the leaders of some of the biggest organizations that fight for the rights of people who have different sexual orientations out to the conversation and keep people involved and show the difference and i think what the most beautiful thing about this was was that like you alluded to the kiss cam they put same-sex couples on the kiss cam in Denver, Colorado, and had them kissing on the Jumbotron, and it was absolutely one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen in an NBA arena. Right. If you don't like it, get used to it. It's the way that... A right. Amen. Man, I almost cussed, and I should have anyway, but that is so damn Look, true. the culture around this stuff is changing nationally. Really nice to see it changing locally here in Denver. And I think my favorite thing is that, like, of course, whenever there is something as... It, so... 
there are certain individuals who may, who may not want things to be inclusive and have everybody be involved. They want to make things divisive. And when I started tweeting out about the fact that this Pride Night was just so awesome and they were putting so much into their Pride Night and really trying to make a stand with it, there were obviously going to be very dumb, very unintelligent, very ignorant, and very just useless individuals who did not agree with this. And if you're listening to this podcast and you're offended, just don't listen to the rest of the podcast because you're not going to enjoy the things I say very often. Worth pointing out, though, the voices that are complaining are always the loudest voices in the room for the most part. And that was different tonight. People came out to Agreed. fight for each other and it was just a beautiful night in that respect all the way through and the Nuggets deserve the utmost respect for yeah. going through and working to make this something that is Im embedded and ingrained in the game, embedded and ingrained in the operations and including all of the fans around. It was absolutely fantastic. Awesome. It was great to be there. Great to work that game. Um, it's a special moment, man. It's the first time ever any professional Colorado sport has actually put on a Pride Night that was official in this way. And I believe the Avalanche are following suit soon. They are. I believe it's February 19th. Don't don't quote me on that, but they they're, the Avalanche are going to be following suit as well. Uh, hockey for all is what the yeah. hashtag is. Beautiful. It's I absolutely beautiful. I don't know a thing about hockey. I'm going to have to go to that game. Yeah, right? If like, it's I anything find like a tonight, way. I'm going to have to be You got to support, man. That's what it is all about nowadays. I do know a fair amount about Nuggets basketball. Do you want to talk about it? No, can we talk about this for the rest of the time? I'm sure, so happy sure. about this. <laughs> I'm, I still want to talk about Trey Burke, but whatever. Uh, yeah, I guess that's yeah, true. All right, right, we'll get into Nuggets stuff. But again, shout out to the Nuggets. Indeed. Shout out to Katie Wingy. Shout out to the operations crew for really putting this on and making this a point to be able to be involved because it does bring people together. And the NBA is at the forefront of inclusion like that and make we are one that we just love basketball. And that's what we're here for. The NBA is the first sport to ever have someone openly gay that plays professional for them. Like this was like, through and through the NBA consistently continues to do this and they deserve so much respect for that Agreed. but you are right there was a nuggets game tonight and while i could just go on forever about how amazing it was of a night for those reasons it is time to start talking about this 131 18 win the nuggets had over the new york knicks Great game, TJ, right? A great team effort. We talked to Jokic after the game. And <laughs> <laughs> Him and his bug spray deodorant that he was just going on and yeah, on. That dude is right. About. Fairly convinced that the deodorant that Sparky, the equipment manager, is putting in his locker is actually bug spray. It's not. But it's just deodorant. <laughs> but Nikola Jokic is convinced that it's to keep spiders out of his locker in a million-dollar locker room. But, you know, he I is, digress. He is a weird dude. But, you know, I said, is, are these the types of games that, that you enjoy more? Because for him, it was 10 assists right, as opposed to to go out and score 30. Uh, there was, I think it was 30. How many assists for the team total? 36 30, for the Nuggets? Uh, 36 assists tonight up against only 13 turnovers. Yeah, Fantastic so game in that respect. Tonight was one of those nights where everyone had it going. It was, they, everyone was getting easy shots. Uh, multiple players with three or more assists. There I think were like 68 four. assists in this game tonight between the Knicks and the Nuggets. That's insane. Not a lot of strong defense on either not, side. That's worth pointing out. Defense was a word that did not exist for either team in this game. No. But, okay, the, what I really want to talk about, the half-court offense for the Nuggets, it looked reminiscent of last year's for the first time in a long yeah, time. Yeah, finally. And yeah. It, it, that was like one of the few times, especially in that first quarter, especially in that first quarter, yes. where I was like, oh my God, Like this is the loose, you know, emphatic and flamboyant and excitable group that we have been waiting to see for so long. Even, if not especially, the Plumlee-Jokic pairing. They were playing a lot more like Farid Man, and Jokic might, right? It wasn't right? even that, I didn't think. It yeah. wasn't like just stick him in the short corner and let right. him catch every lob. Like, they were playing high-low the way that Marcus Gasol and Zach Randolph like, used to in Memphis. Give-and-goes, like two-man yes. action between yes. the starting. And yeah. it wasn't just that it was a give-and-go to a jump pass to the corner that continued to swing the ball into another DHO. Like, it was just one of those things that was amazing to watch because when this Nuggets team is functioning and they're fluid and everything is effortless in the way it was in that first quarter, they cannot be stopped. They had 39 points in that first quarter, and they were just annihilating, man. Ten assists for Jokic, four assists for... Uh, for 
Plumlee, when your starting front court is composed of two centers and you get 14 assists that's from them. That's insane. Right. That, that's emblematic of, it was good basketball. The Nuggets played good basketball tonight. And one of the biggest recipients of that good basketball was Gary Harris. And Gary Harris is a guy who was questionable coming into this game. He has a bruised right midfoot. You sure couldn't tell watching him play tonight. Yeah, and even warming up, he had a little bit of a limp where it looked like he, it wasn't that it was hurting him. He was just favoring it to be almost conservative Walking kind of feel. gingerly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But when he came into that game, he was hit. He, I mean, I believe <sighs> he started seven of seven from the field. He was just, it was like mortar fire raining down. He just got whatever he wanted. Like I remember in that third quarter, he hit that like they came down the court and the offense was sputtering and they weren't getting good looks. And Gary Harris was like, you know what? Nah, this is my ball. I'm gonna do what I need to do in isolation. He isolated up on Ron Baker, put the ball on a string, dribbled up on him baseline and hit a fading jump shot that was basically behind the backboard that, that went in for an and one and, I, and that was what sparked them right back into this game I thought his strongest stretch of play came at the end of the second quarter when that ball movement sort of seemed to slow down for the Nuggets Trey Lyles had just gone a nice little personal run to spark a run and then Gary Harris took the reins and I think he scored like seven or nine points in the final seven minutes or yeah. whatever of the quarter and but it was how he got those points so the, the offense seemed to be breaking down a little bit and he was just sort of creating points for himself uh, it was nice to see him do that there was a common denominator there we both did the same thing the Nuggets offense was out of sorts and Gary Harris took the ball and got them back into it and it was Murray who did that in the Portland game Harris who did it tonight that's what the Nuggets need more of because we know when they're playing at their best when they're playing team basketball that offense is potent the problem is without Gallinari we've talked about this before they don't really have that guy so to see Harris do it and Murray do it in back-to-back games fairly encouraging and I think my favorite part of this too is that we know Gary Harris can be hyper efficient the fact that he's been looking for his own shot means a lot to me and his progression and development as a player he led the team tonight with 14 shots 14 shots that would that I would not have believed you if I didn't look at a box score and you told and he just knows when to pick his spots and to keep this offense going and still be efficient, but also still find time to insert himself in the game. Michael Malone flat out called him the MVP of the Nuggets so far. This I was going to bring that up. Do you agree? That's, I do. Oh, absolutely. I, I know agree. you're a huge Harris guy. And I've been a huge Harris guy. Like I am a Harris stand going back to his Michigan State days. Like I always thought he'd be an elite shooter even when he was struggling as a rookie. Like I have believed in this kid for a while just because I've loved the way that I've seen him play all the way through Michigan State up until this point right now. You can cough on this podcast, man. We're not that professional. <laughs> But, um, so for me, I do agree with that because it's not the fact that he is just scoring and being an off-ball shooter anymore. He's still cutting. His defense has gotten better on and off-ball, which I think is important because on-ball, he's always been solid. Off-ball, he's been a young player learning how to play off-ball defense, which is so hard at the NBA level. But now he's playmaking for his teammates. He only had only had one so assist only, tonight. But, but I was going to say that that's sort of what I like about that is, is Harris is the type of player who's going to – he's like a chameleon, right? He's going to change his colors, change his game yes, based off what this team – Needs. So in the six games when Jokic and Millsap were out, Harris was stepping up as a playmaker oh, big yeah. time. He had five, six, seven, eight assist nights all the time when they were out. But tonight the ball was hopping, popping, flying. It was hopping, <laughs> Adam, hopping. Whatever term you want to use. And that's not what the Nuggets needed from Harris. They needed a guy who could just, you know, buckle down and get some points. And he did that at the end of the second and again in the third. So, yes, it was a quiet 23 points and 14 shots for Harris tonight. But, you know, he just blended in with the rest of the team. Everyone played well. Yeah, and he was the highest scorer on the team doing that. And he was a big rebounder. He only had one turnover. He thought I thought he was great on defense again, even though the fact that they did score a lot. He made things very difficult for that backcourt. Their starting backcourt, Ron Baker did not get a shot up. Courtney Lee was 3 of 6. Jarrett Jack was 3 of 9. They combined from the three-point line. So while, yes, the defense struggled, nobody is going to argue that when you give 118 points to the Knicks. That is just a flat-out fact. But I thought Gary Harris had good moments on defense tonight. 
Yeah, agreed. Now, look, this is one of those nights where the Nuggets clearly had the superior backcourt, so you'd like to see them sort of win that matchup. But yes, Harris played well. Uh, look, he's growing into a really solid defender, TJ. We know he has those quick hands. He's a football player, but it's the off-the-ball stuff. I mean, he's he's getting really, really good, I think. He's been able to read. So this, is, this has always been my thing. As an on-ball defender, Gary Harris has always been very good at reading the offense and knowing where the next pass is going to come from. It was because of that that I always believed his playmaking was going to evolve and be become an actual playmaker he is now getting to the point where he can be focused enough off ball to know what's coming to where he sees a play ahead off ball like he does on ball and when he can start making that differentiation and be able to use both ends of that on his defensive ability he is going to take off as a defender in my opinion good stuff for gary harris one of the most underrated players in the league and as malone said tonight perhaps the mvp of the denver nuggets All right, so i'm far. going to allow you to talk about trey burke because i do have a point to make about trey burke okay go ahead and it's not about <laughs> trey burke in, in, in particular because there was this weird phenomenon that whenever Emmanuel Moutier came on the court, all of a sudden that deficit became much, 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 much smaller. So weird. It's weird that the other backup point guard that played was named Trey Burke, and he went 8 of 12 from the field for 18 points, and he had 11 assists. All right, that sounds a whole lot like Emmanuel Moutier is continually struggling defensively, and it was the reason why Trey Burke went off. Yeah, I agree. Not a great game for Moody. Because let's be real, Trey Burke is not doing this against anybody else except for Emmanuel Moody. No, that was a nice game for Trey Burke. I, I I joke with all these Trey Burke references because he's he's the only Trey Burke. And look, that you're right. That's more reflective of who was guarding him tonight, I think, than than how he was playing. Look, Moody. Moody was bad tonight. Look, he's been the the problem with this team. I mean, look, that's been the case all year long. The on and off differentials between the rest of the players on the roster when Moody is on or off the floor are pretty telling, pretty glaring. Um, so that's something to keep an eye on here as we get closer to the trade deadline. I, mean, I was as big of a Moutier supporter as there was, and it took so long for me to get off the off the boat. And well, this is my thing with it now. When you look at the net ratings of players with and without Emmanuel Moutier, whenever they play with Emmanuel Moutier, every, every single, single rotation player is a negative. You remove him, every single rotational player becomes a positive. Like it's just too clear. And we can't stress enough how rare that is for for those it types of happen. that type of data to be black and white. It, Same thing with people who are good. You don't just right. make teams better that like. Right. Right. Across the board. Right. On and off numbers are always require subsequent explanation context, right? There's always an explanation. In this case, we just have our answer. Moutier is the problem. And we've seen him exiled to the end of the bench for most of the season, but they don't have a backup ball handler outside of Will Barton. So, And as much as I love Will Barton, they need to start him right now, and he can't be the backup point guard when he's starting a small forward. Like, yes. it's, you can't do, you can't beat two people. And about a month ago, I wrote about this Emmanuel Moutier experience, what you were just articulating. It's so strange because every time you're ready to give up on this kid, it seems like he checks in and drops You'll have like a 21 point right, first quarter. Like 16 minutes, 16 points in like 18 minutes or whatever. And then when you're ready to buy back in, what does he do the next game? He turns it over like five times, yep. right? And it's it's so it, he has this uncanny ability to salvage himself from the realm, well, to save so himself from this realm of the unsalvageable. But I think it's finally time, TJ. I think most Nuggets fans feel this way. This Moutier experiment, at least in Denver, needs to come to a close. I think Matt Moore is exact on this stuff of the Action Network. And I've actually said the same thing, where Emmanuel Moutier is not going to pan out in Denver. And that is not to say Emmanuel Moutier is not talented. It is not to say that he does not have a skill set that is going to be extremely useful at the NBA level. It means it's not going to happen He here. needs a fresh start. And I'd, I'd be rooting for him in that scenario. But I mean, it just doesn't even 
and feel like he wants to be here. Again, to be clear, this is just TJ and I talking, not reporting. I, 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 let's put it this way. Moutier has not talked to media, not because we haven't wanted to talk to him, but because he will not. Right. He is frustrated. Like that, that is something that we can report on. That is true. He hasn't talked like, to a single member of the and Nuggets And this is the media. thing. Like, off the record, when people talk to him and not about basketball, he's a very happy individual. So I'm not going to, I don't make this out to be Emmanuel Moutier is depressed and it's completely lost. No, no, no. Like he's frustrated with the situation in a basketball sense. There's what, no getting away from that. When you talk about this level of talent, often it's all about confidence. It's all about confidence. Malone talked about that with Gary Harris. He thinks that was the big difference was Brian Shaw really had little to no interest in yep. developing Harris. He had very little confidence in him. Malone thinks that his confidence in Harris has been the difference. Moutier isn't really getting that treatment here in Denver. And not, that's not to say that he deserves it or anything, but that, that's got to be hard when you're a lottery talent who's playing professionally as a teenager and now you're not even sure if you're going to be playing every night. How are you supposed to get into any kind of rhythm? And that's why Michael Malone deserves a shout out because it's not just Gary. Will Barton, who was getting no playing time in Portland, came here, got confidence, and is now this player. It's Trey Lyles, who was getting no playing time in Utah, got confidence, and is now this player. Yeah. Like this, There is a common denominator that Michael Malone has been able to instill confidence in his players that may or may not have it. All right, that's a lot on the backup point guard there. Let's talk about the starting point guard tonight, Jamal Murray. Uh, he had a huge game in Portland, obviously, 38 points, career high. It was ridiculous efficiency, probably the best we've ever seen him play. He was good again tonight, TJ. Only 18 points, but 6 of 13 from the field. He had 5 assists, and I think he had 5 total rebounds. Is that right? He did, and he, yeah. but this is the only negative about his game was that he had 5 turnovers. That was the only negative. Right, that's true. And he ducked out. He he did not talk to media tonight. Mm. Not sure why. He said he had to go very quickly. I'm not sure if it was a family thing or if he just didn't want to talk to media, but we did not get a chance to actually discuss with him his game. But I thought overall it was important that he was able to impact the game beyond just scoring. He got his 18, and it was an efficient 18. No one's going to argue that. It's the five rebounds and five assists that make me happy. And it's the rebounds. We've talked about this before. Malone talked about it tonight after the game in the scrum. What he's most impressed about with Murray is the rebounding. And it's not just how good he is at it, but it's what that what that's reflective of. And that's that competitive desire. This is a dude who's willing to do all the little things to help his team win. Tonight, I think he recognized that it wasn't about him having the hot hand offensively. It wasn't about him scoring ridiculous buckets on his own. And so he just played the way Denver needed him to play. The playmaking, I like the rebounds. Sure, the turnovers weren't great. Didn't hurt them in the long run. Another good game for Murray. I think what's important, too, about this is that when Nikola Jokic is on and he becomes the primary facilitator, as he did tonight with 10 assists, and he was that guy. The offense was running through him. Oh, yeah. Jamal Murray, while he did score efficiently, he didn't need the ball in his hands. He found ways to be productive regardless. And I think that's important for their future and their development down the line is that Jamal Murray can impact the game in more ways than just scoring off the bounce and having the ball in his hands. And that's a really, really important development for the long term. Agreed. Future. Agreed. So what did you think of Jokic tonight? I thought he played really well. We had a battle of uh, another another big European battle here. Jokic versus Porzingis. I happen to think that Jokic outplayed Porzingis tonight. Do you agree? I think it's closer than... I, I do think he outplayed him. I think that Nikola Jokic was more important to his team and the, the success that they had on the court than Chris Stapps was. I will make the case that Chris Stapps in that second half looked fantastic. He was able to get his shot when he needed it. The reason that I think Nikola Jokic played better was that Chris Stapps was straight up moping. Like, that dude was frustrated. He was throwing his hands up. He fouled out. Like, this, he fouled out in 27 minutes tonight. And that fifth foul that he picked up, I believe it was the fifth one. That was that that reckless loose ball foul, right? Yes, it that was. That was pretty clearly a frustration foul. And then foul. he, I, no, actually, I believe that was his fourth. That was his and then fourth. He had the, then he had the offensive um, right. charge or whatever they ended up calling That's it. That's right. But this is why I think Jokic outplayed Porzingis. 
for that reason that that it, during that stretch in the third the Knicks had their only real sense of momentum that they had all night it looked like they were going on a little run they were chipping away at the lead and they needed their best player he was starting to heat up offensively they needed him on the court he committed a really silly frustration foul that ultimately contributed to him not being able to help his team when it mattered the most so only seven for 16 from the field and the thing that sort of has been the hot topic to talk about with Porzingis is the lack of playmaking for others which as we know is Jokic's biggest strength 10 assists for Jokic tonight how many for Kristaps TJ yeah zero zero and this is the thing I'm done comparing the two of them because they are entirely different yeah, players. they're just European like, that's if about, you yeah. really want to make a comparison about like who's the best young big man you need to like you need to wait it's not fair anymore different it's not something that i'm going to keep badgering over and no, over. no but taken out of the same draft both right being the faces of their respective franchises going forward like the comparison is always going to happen so we bring it up I, I thought Jokic did more to help his team win tonight and i think Kristaps will always be the, a much more dynamic player a sexier player than Jokic to the national fan but the guy who fills out the the stat sheets in the way that leads to wins and that's why the advanced metrics like him so much and that's why if it were up to me I would rather have Jokic, but we could do a whole podcast on that. And that's the thing, that. is yeah. that you can just talk about the defensive versatility of Chris Hops, whatever. whatever. I, we need to wait. Right. That's just all this comes right. down to. So I am done talking about that for right okay, now. Okay, fair it's enough. It's just one of those things where it's just we just don't know, and I'm sick of beating a dead horse dead. You know what we should talk about, though, TJ? Oh, your boy. Trey Lyles, off the bench. Huge fan of this dude, obviously. How could you not be as a Nuggets fan at this point? I mean, 9 of 12 from the field, 2 of 4 from 3. Not only that, 5 rebounds, which isn't that great, but 3 assists and 0 turnovers tonight. 21 points in 21 minutes yeah, off the bench. Second highest scorer for them. I want to ask you a question because Will Barton has moved into the starting lineup yes. now. A guy who we've seen previously in the role of like lead scorer off the bench, right? The type of guy who galvanizes the team offensively. When Will Barton is stuck, you agree with me that it's important to have Trey Lyles coming in off the bench because at the start of the second quarter and at the end of the fourth, he was that guy that transitioned right between the first and the second unit. And he, he scored really, really important points. And having that sort of spark, that firepower off the bench, Will, Will Barton told me tonight in the locker room, he thinks that's really important. I think it, it's important if it's Lyles specifically coming off the bench. I think it needs to be talked about of how he is getting these shots and in what way he is. Because, yes, I do agree with the principle that you need his scoring off the bench, especially with Will Barton in the starting unit. That is not debatable, in my opinion. What is debatable is, is the reason that Trey Lyles was able to score tonight because of all the attention that Wilson Chandler garnered. Mm. I don't know if you That's can rely point. on Trey Lyles to be a de facto primary scorer on a bench unit yet. And I think he can get there. I'm not going to argue that he can't get there. But Wilson Chandler was slicing into the lane playing with tons of energy. He was hitting threes. He was great defensively. He was everywhere. So when he started playing with that much energy and effort, it immediately put a target on his back that I think opened the floor up for Trey Lyles. That may be true tonight in a vacuum, but I think Lyles has sort of successfully filled that role all season Long. I agree and, with that. And Wilson's been inconsistent, right? We don't know if we can, offensively, we don't know if we can count on that from him. Well, his career arc does show that he can, when he, especially when he plays power forward. Right. And I want to give a shout out to Malone going to the Lyles at five and Wilson Chandler at yeah, four. Yeah, I like that. Because I think that that is what is really opening up the floor for this Benjamin to be able to prosper in the way that they have. Agreed. But I just like the way, I just like how confident Lyles looks coming off the bench and Typically, when that happens, the scoring slows down, and, and to just have a guy who, who's feeling himself 
off the bench, instant offense. It's usually Will Barton when he's in the starting role. Just a note I wanted to make. I I, I think, do agree with you. I think it's important to have Lyles off the bench. I know people are frustrated with the plumley jokic combo, but it worked well tonight. And, and you know, again, the value in Lyles off the bench, I think, is hard to overstate. And think about it this way. If you play plumley with Chandler, those are two, I don't want to say non-shooters, because Chandler isn't a non-shooter, but he's not a lethal shooter. Right. You don't get the spacing from it. So you absolutely, it is a it is required to have Trey Lyles in the bench unit if Will Barton is not, in my yeah. opinion. Agreed. You cannot play them together because you need one of them on the bench. Flat out, full stop, that's the end of that conversation. But man, whether he's starting or, or coming off the bench, how fun has it been watching Trey Lyles it, this season? It's more fun for me because of all the shit he took from Agreed. other people. Like, this is a dude who, who has taken the brunt of all of it. This is a dude who has been labeled a bust after two years. Like, And this is a dude who went to Kentucky and didn't get much playing time. I mean, he played, but he wasn't out there playing 30 <laughs> minutes a night. Like, Tra- Trey Lyles is 22 years people old. People forget how young this and team is. really felt like Utah gave up on him in about five minutes. And so, yeah, it's been so much fun watching him play. It looks like he's having fun. I asked him tonight, TJ, in the locker room after the game, is this the most fun you've had playing professional basketball? Question too. He said yes, and I think that's fairly obvious. It he's, was funny because that little smirk came over his yeah. face. He was like, am I about to say this? Yeah, I'm going to say it. This is by far the most fun I've had. Hey, he was the first guy I talked to when I came over here in the preseason, and I said, you know, do you expect a difference here in this free-flowing offense in Denver versus what you had going on in, in Utah. And he said to me, the phrase he used was he felt like he was stuck in a box. Sure, Lyles can stretch the floor, but he's not just a shooter. And he's shooting at his best when he's involved in the offense. He is in Denver. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah, I, I, I can't agree more Wilson Chandler. Um, I think he should. Do you think he should stay on the bench? Do you think Will Barton should continue starting? You play Wilson Chandler I do. I like that, especially because, like you said earlier, with the shooting, if Plumlee's going to be starting and Lyles is coming off the bench, you'd rather have Barton than Chandler at the three in terms of stretching the floor. Also, something you've talked about with Barton in the past, he's one of those guys who will put his head down and penetrate and, and draw, suck the defense in. So... I think that's important in the starting lineup. And also, I just like the way Wilson looks off the bench in these last two games. Yeah, I mean, he can do what he wants. Right. Like, he's not fitting in around four other people who need the ball in their hands more often than he does. I, like, that's a very different thing. I, I found when he's starting this year, it, it almost looks like he's like, oh, the ball came to me. Look at that. Right. Or versus when he comes in off the bench, it's like, oh, I'm going to go and get mine now. Right. Yeah, and, exactly. Yeah. He looked much more confident offensively. And I also like the idea of like, I think you can galvanize a team defensively off the bench. It's not just the offense. Malik Beasley, sort of the king of this, coming in and and sparking the team with some couple of consecutive strong defensive possessions. We've seen Chandler do that in these last two games. So yeah, TJ, I like this idea of Barton in the starting lineup, Chandler off the bench. Yeah, and uh, this is something else I want to get into as well, is Will Barton, everyone keeps talking about, like, I've made the point that you need his penetration and the way that he gets to the rim to scramble defenses, and that does not necessarily mean he's a pure isolation player. So for all of the damn people out there who keep blowing this up, all right, out of all the possessions that Will Barton uses, only 84 of them have come in isolation all year. That is literally two a game. Does it tell us what percentage of his? Yeah, 11.8% of his possessions. So look, guys. That is the only, like, that's the last one that's over 10%. So because Barton has a game that would translate well to a pickup court because he's fun to watch and he's flashy does not necessarily mean he's this ISO king. That's a myth. Yep. And he's he's it's not just that he's not playing ISO ball. It's also this idea that like he's only out there to take shots for himself. That's not true. He's playing the backup ball handler role for this team. He's playing out on the wing when he's asked to. He's creating plays for others much more than it may look like. I would really encourage fans to double check the stats and the data on this guy before they formulate these strong opinions. He's doing more for this team than it looks like, and he is not an ISO guy. 
He isn't. So he let's isn't. stop referring to him that way. And I want to ask you a question. Why the hell does Mason Plumlee continue to only dunk reverse or lay up reverse? It's really strange. Jokic joked about that. That was so funny. So you guys were playing well today, and he said, yes, he's so strong with the ball, and you know he's going to dunk it weird way. <laughs> it was amazing. It was absolutely amazing but hearing him say it. Reverse dunks, they're really impressive. They're unorthodox. I'm sure they're hard to defend. And as Malone brought That's up, the point that I want to make. Right, that it's hard to defend. Yes. Well, I just want to hit something really quick. Malone brought this up a couple weeks ago in practice. Plumlee's been going through a core injury. And like that has to make that type of that type of play particularly difficult. It, it should. It should you're outstretching your core. And this is the thing, like this core injury goes all the way back to the beginning of the year. Yeah. I wrote an article like probably I don't even remember. It's probably like November that I wrote it. Like this dude has been dealing with this for a long time. And I think it's interesting. Like you go back to Steve Nash and what Steve Nash did with his off foot one handed gather layups. And the reason he, it works so well, and this is actually what Gary Harris does. His one handed gathers are off his opposite foot as well. Is that you're jumping at a time the defense does not expect you to, and you're not gathering with two hands. So there's not an exact movement where you can look and be like, oh, he's going up. So at some point with Wilson Chandler doing these weird like reverse things, I don't know if the defense is prepared for it, and that's why they work Mason, so Mason damn Mason Plumlee, well. you mean? Yeah, Sorry, I agree. Yes, Mason Plumlee. I also think it's somewhat refreshing, too. I know how frustrated we've all been with the spacing with, with Jokic Plumlee, and that's fair. But it's refreshing in a league where it's like you can't play the five unless you can stretch the floor. It's nice to see a guy who just wants to catch it and go up strong. Yeah, down in the paint. That's it, true. It is. And it I is. can see why it pisses fans off because you feel like you're losing possession. But at the same time, the high, the, the best efficiency shot, even with all the three-pointer analytics nowadays, is still a layup at the rim. Yeah, and also, you know what? Plumlee, who's a playmaking big and does other things well, like rebounding and, and defending, rotating help defense... He has to keep the defense honest, right? He can't He can't not shoot, right? Otherwise, yeah. you just don't have to guard the guy. Yeah, because you're already not guarding him outside the paint anyway. Right. If so, you know he's not going to go up for a layup in the paint, like, why are you even going to play him at that yeah. point? So, so that, quiet I night, do understand that. Quiet night statistically for Plumlee tonight. I thought he played very, very well. I TJ. thought that his stat line was very... It didn't show how impactful he was. 14 points, six rebounds, four assists, one steal, one block, six of six from the field, two of two from free throw. Shouts on a perfect free throw night for Mason Plumley. I think I may have said that he only scored six points earlier on this podcast. I'm just going to, just in case I did. He scored 14. That's wrong. Okay. Um, <laughs> you got anything else about this game in particular, man? Uh, I think I do. Let me check our rundown, TJ. There's nothing else in the rundown, There's bud. No <laughs> you have hit maximum rundown conversations. Then no. <laughs> All right. So the one thing I want to get into, and this was a question posed to us. Again, we're going to put out questions before every pod. If you have any kind of curious things you want us to discuss on this podcast, whenever you see those tweets come out, put the Denver Nuggets Daily um, Twitter account. It is Nuggets underscore daily. Put it on notifications so you can see when the podcast come out and whenever we're going to be asking for questions. We don't post tons from there, so you're not going to get overwhelmed. But um, so we started asking for questions again. And this was a late one, so there's not tons. But there was the first one I want to get to is an important one. Sean English on Twitter, who's a friend of the show, asked, "Looking ahead at their schedule, what do you expect?" So I have the schedule up, and it is not pretty. This is a Matt Moore pointed out to me. The Nuggets could legitimately end up under 500 going into the All Star of how insane their schedule is coming up. And that's why this stretch has been a little brutal and disappointing with some of the bad losses that they ate because we knew this was coming up. And if you want to be a playoff team, you have to win those gimme games, especially when you get handed as, as brutal schedules as Denver has in these last few years, like this upcoming stretch. So yes, since after Christmas, they have lost by three and every time to Minnesota. They lost to a Joe Allen beadless Philadelphia 76ers team. They lost on the road against Sacramento in an awful loss. Then you had the Atlanta loss at home. 
Then you end up losing to the Clippers right? You in a game you should have won, and then you lose to Phoenix. All of those should have been wins. All of them. All of them. I mean, the Clippers... The Minnesota game, you can make an argument, and the Clippers game, but they were in a position to right. pull those games out and to be a winning team at this point. You need to win them. And those games matter because, okay, you're hosting Dallas at home on Saturday. But... You, you got to win that game, right? But that's because... What comes next, TJ? So then you get Boston and Denver. Woof. Okay? Then you get at San Antonio directly after on a back-to-back. That's fun. Okay? Then you have a day off, and then you play Oklahoma City at home, who Woof. have been killing it recently. <laughs> then you get another day off, and then you face Golden State at home. <laughs> then you get a day off, and you go to sh- and then you play Charlotte. At a game. little break, but then you get a couple days off. And so then from February fifth to the ninth, you days off. Then you get at Houston. <laughs> At Phoenix, winnable, home against the Spurs. At Milwaukee, home against the Spurs. Home against Houston. Home against the Clippers. At Memphis, which doesn't matter. At Cavs, and then at Dallas, and then back to the Cavs again. So what we're trying to say here, guys, is this is going to be rough. So let's just take these in three-game spurts, shall we? Sure. Let's just go through this. So... To finish out January, you got versus Dallas at home, versus Boston at home, at San Antonio. Where do they go? Win, loss, loss. Yeah. I I think they might grab the home game against Boston. They might. That's the only one. They are not beating San Antonio in San Antonio. Because I do think outside of that Timberwolves game, the best loss on the year, which I do believe in, by the way, good losses, was the Boston Celtics loss. That was a scheduled it loss. Was, yeah. It was like their sixth game in eight days or whatever. It was a back-to-back on the road. They played really, really well. So I'm curious to see how they play them. Um, this time around, TJ, but what Boston's just really, really good. I know, but think about it this way. So you have Dallas in the 27th, and you have a day off, and then you have Boston at home. So you don't travel. You get a day off in between, and you have San Antonio on a back-to-back. If it's me, I'm going balls out for Boston and resting in San Antonio. Me too. So, I mean, I, you got to hope they get the W in Boston. I'm just going to stay pessimistic here and say these are two losses. All right, let's go to the first week of February. At home versus Oklahoma City, which is two days after being in San Antonio, because the TNT game. Then you get Golden State on the third, which is an, uh, another day off in between, and then you get Charlotte at home as well. It's a three-game homestand at that point. Win-loss win. Yeah, I, I think they can beat Oklahoma City at home, but that just, would be a that would be a hell of a win. But they just look really, really confident against OKC to me. Yeah, but that could change very quickly. Very, very, sure. Very and this is a different version of OKC than the Nuggets have Dude, seen thus far. Bello literally took a ball, had an open look at a long two, pump faked, and made the extra pass to Terrence Ferguson for a three tonight. Oh man! If he's doing that, the Nuggets are losing every game they ever <laughs> yeah, play. That actually is a him. scary sight. If Agreed. you get like Olympic Carmelo Anthony, it doesn't. But matter. the Nuggets have looked good against OKC. They look confident. I'm going to give them a dub there. Yeah. All right. Then you go at Houston, at Phoenix, and then back at home for San Antonio. That's a TNT game, the t- San Antonio. Okay. You're not going to beat Houston in Houston. No. They're, they match. That's probably the team that they match up the worst against is the Rockets, in my opinion. You do need to go into Phoenix and get a revenge win. If you don't beat Phoenix, all hell breaks loose. Agreed. Versus San Antonio. Um. You know, again, it's hard without looking at San Antonio's schedule because we know how Pop approaches different games, right? He might be resting, guys. Especially because that is two games for the All-Star break. Right. So he may be, but for me, it's just like, it's hard to look at San Antonio on the schedule and and envision a W. (laughs) So another little wrinkle on this. So between the Charlotte game on the 5th and the Rockets game on the 9th, you had the trade deadline. Oh, that's interesting. So that might throw a little wrench, which means I think that they could definitely lose that Houston game even worse than I thought. And so you finish it out at Milwaukee for the last game on the 15th. So... The way I look at this, the Nuggets have one for sure. So probably one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten losses. What we're trying to say, nine folks, losses. is that the Nuggets could could be below five hundred. They're before likely you know going to be, yeah. un- and this is the reason we're saying this. Take a deep breath. Their schedule gets easier after that a little bit, a little and, bit. They'll, and they'll be able to hopefully recover. But 
damn. It's weird because March is a little easier in terms of strength of schedule. Yeah, earlier. Ex- except that like seven of those games are on the road in consecutively, Yes, the right? 17th all the way through March 30th, they're on the road. So to answer your question, Sean, it's a tough schedule for the end of the season. This is going to be the real brutal stretch. God, would it be good to have Paul Millsap, but I just have to get over that. I Paul think. Millsap has said that he wants to come back earlier. There's been no update, and that's actually something that we got another, yeah, that question, another question from. Who was it that asked that question? I, I don't know, TJ. It's somewhere, man. There it is. Michael Hartman. Shouts. So, shouts Michael Hartman. The the word on Millsap's recovery right now is that he expects to come back a little bit earlier. Um, he would not give us a date. He is not going to go out on a limb like that, so we are all expecting him to be back around the All-Star break, which we're creeping up on right he now. He won't give us a date. I will say, when you ask people around the team about Millsap, there's generally a, an air of positivity. I, it's, a little, it's, it's actually kind of true. Yeah. yeah. I, I, no one seems, you know, and no one will give us a date, but they seem fairly confident that we're going to see Millsap a little sooner than later. So it sounds like we're about 20 days away from yeah. getting Paul Millsap back, which actually isn't that long. That's no. actually, it feels a lot better to say it in that regard. Okay. So looking ahead at the schedule, at some point in there, you mentioned that the trade deadline's coming up. We have a question. What is the plan for Torrey Craig, and when do they have to make a roster move? So the plan for Torrey Craig is that the Nuggets absolutely want him on this team long term for the rest of the year. They want to create a roster spot. You need you can't just trade a dude to trade a dude. You can't just open a roster spot by making a bad deal for a guy like Torrey Craig. I love Torrey Craig. I love what he can bring to the table. I think he's absolutely an NBA player. But you do not make a rushed panic trade to make a roster spot for him. That said, the Nuggets do need to make a trade. So if they can, they do. when wh- while doing so open up a roster spot understand that that is on some level a priority for them and to answer the second half of this question when do they have to make a roster move if this is a you know we talked about this on the last pod i think for nuggets fans the key here to look at is the trade deadline not the days left on on craig's two-way deal because like we said they need to open up that roster spot and it's it's really probably not going to happen via waving a player so well there's no one to wave there's no one to wave so it's gonna the date for craig to keep in mind is the trade deadline yeah, it really is. February 8th is that trade deadline. Um, I have talked to people in the Nuggets organization, executives and coaches alike, that have both made it very clear to me that they want Tory Craig on the roster. So that's all we can really go on from there. So that is what I expect when it comes to Tory Craig down the line. Derek Drago at Derek underscore Drago. Do you guys think Malone starts Plumley Jokic against Dallas because of how well they played together tonight? Last time they went against Dallas, the Nuggets went small. Boston on Monday, also a team that they can go, also a team that typically plays small. What do you think, TJ? Who will start in that front court against Dallas? Michael Malone, especially after they've won two in a row with the Plumlee Jokic lineup after going away from the Lyles uh, Jokic lineup after they lost that game, he is going to stick with this. I agree. Michael Malone is maniacal about wanting to play with Jokic and Plumlee together. I would say when you're trying to get a read on what Malone thinks about this, Ignore whatever quotes he give you and just pays attention to he just keeps starting. Just look at his rotation. Right. With it. So we, we had to backtrack last week because he was feeling the pressure. He went away from it from one game. He went right back to it. So I would just assume going forward that this is going to be the, the pairing. There. Until there's a reason for them to change it, they're not going to change it. Which, well, also, and maybe if there are reasons to change it, they might not change it. Yes, but also <laughs> to play devil's advocate, Michael Malone did say his front court rotation is a fluid situation, including starters, depending on who he plays. So at the same time, while we are pretty assured that he is going to start Plumley with Jokic for the foreseeable future, he could absolutely go smaller and play Wilson Chandler at the four with Barton or something along those lines. I wouldn't be surprised if he does that in the Boston game. 
yeah, so those kinds of things are going to be interesting because Malone has said it's a fluid situation. So we'll have to just wait and see with that. But at least I think I think we both speak for each other when we say that we expect him, especially to with, go for with that. positive results in these last two games. You have to assume that he's encouraged with this lineup. Yeah. So Derek Drago also hit us up with another question. He asked, "Harris and Murray are much better as off-ball defenders than on-ball defenders. They both get blown by all the time. Is this mostly due to their lack of foot speed, or or is it something they can get better?" At I want to answer his question with a question to you, TJ. Do you think that that's true? I don't at all. Okay, talk about. That a so bit. the reason I want to bring this up, and it's not a bad point, because there are moments where the guards do get blown by, and Malone even pointed out tonight that the guards were not up into the New York Knicks guards enough to limit their offense. Yeah. So there is a point here. I'm not trying to say you're wrong about everything, but... When you're a young guard who plays defense, playing on ball and working real hard is significantly easier than learning the nuances of how to play off ball defense with athletes at the NBA level and the, the speed of the NBA level. I don't think either of them have a lack of foot speed or lateral movement. No, I well, I mean, they're not elite. Gary Harris could be elite. I think that there's a, a there's a line there that he does toe. Jamal Murray isn't quite elite, but they're not slow. These no. are not slow guards. No. So I do feel like what you saw tonight, yes, they struggled and didn't get blown by. And then at, at the end of last year and all of last year, they were getting blown by like they didn't even exist. It was like paper mache defense. So I do think that this that they're better on ball defenders than off ball defenders. And I think that they're going to continue getting better at both because both of these guys just keep playing harder and harder and learning more and more I also think they're young guards in the NBA and yeah. it's really hard to look like a good on-ball defender especially because these guys are asked to do a significant amount offensively right think about the point guards that come to mind when you think of defense first uh, Chris Paul well with the exception of Chris Paul and maybe an Eric Bledsoe almost all of them are defense only and that's because of what a concerted effort it takes. Anyone would look slow in terms of the lateral speed and the foot speed with when you're guarding Russell Westbrook. Yeah, when people complain about defense and the effort people put out, I want you to go play a full court five on five game for 48 minutes and you go play two ways with all of your effort. Right. People don't realize how difficult that is. Right. So I would actually say that 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 is probably what's bleeding into the on ball defense more so than physical limitations is just you know, the load that they're being asked to carry. It's hard. It's hard to be a two-way guard in this league. So uh, it does not come to us on Twitter. It comes to me via text message by a good friend of mine, Brian Kibler, huge basketball fan, not a huge Nuggets fan. He's only seen a couple of year games this season. He wants us to sell him on the Denver Nuggets. TJ. I really like me this. Too. I was really excited about this. Shouts, Brian. I don't even know you, but I will buy you a beer if you ever get in town because I really like this question. So the reason that I really wanted to discuss this on the podcast was because the Nuggets fans around and just like all across the board, people who read my stuff, people who read your stuff, people who listen to the podcast, people who don't listen to anything we do. There is this common idea that we should be expecting more from this Nuggets team than what they have been showing us. I don't know where the hell that came from, considering they lost their second best player, arguably first best player, depending on how you rank Nikola Jokic and the fact that internally guys have been developing at a rapid pace Gary Harris taking leaps Jamal Murray taking leaps Trey Lyles taking well, this leaps. is a team where the average age of the, this is a team where the average age of the roster is below league average and that's with guys like Richard Jefferson and Darrell yeah. Arthur that inflate right the average age of this is extremely it's like 23, young 24 I think that's a super hard thing to remember about this team I think it's something Mike Malone stresses a lot so if, if I have to sell you on the Nuggets, what I would tell you is that anything you've seen so far to encourage you is the tip of the iceberg in theory. This is a team oh, that... Oh, it's not in theory. That's the it, damn right. truth. This, this team is a two to three year project. So keep in mind that what you're getting... So 38 points for Murray, these terrific performances from Harris, 
all the hype you've heard about Nikola Jokic, none of these guys are older than 24. Yeah, and think about it this way, too. When you're on a rookie contract, you have restricted free agency rights, meaning you can match it. They have six more years of Jamal Murray. Yes. They have six more years, or they have five more years of Nikola Jokic at the bare minimum. And they locked Gary Harris in. And they locked Gary Harrison. So he'll be here for five more years. So you this, still have Wancho and Malik on the fringes. You have guys like Paul Millsap in the fold. So this core is not going anywhere. It seems to me, TJ, that they like each other. They like playing with each other. And what I would say is if you look at the construction of this roster, it's almost entirely draft picks and trades, very few free agent signings. This is a team that was grown organically. This is a team that will grow together over time. They have fun playing together. They're fun to watch. I'm a big fan of ball movement. When this team gets it right, they're as fun to watch in that regard as any team out there with, with a few exceptions. So, yeah, I, I mean, passing, youth, uh, watching a team grow organically over the course of two to three years – that's something you can keep an eye on as a fan when you're frustrated with the lack of parity as things stand now. Okay, Golden State's going to win this year, so what is there to watch? Watch teams like the Nuggets. Yeah, absolutely, and I think what's even more important is that this team is 23 only, like as an average age of their of their real core, and guess what? They can beat anybody on any given night at this point already. Agreed. I mean, they held the Warriors to 81 points after holding Portland to like 84. Yes, that game was an anomaly, but this is a team that will play anyone tough. I'm pretty sure they've beaten this Golden State Warriors times now. I, I'm strangely confident when the Nuggets play the Warriors. Yeah, it's I, like, and it's funny because even Matt Moore, like, we, he asked the question. I, I can't. Dang, I, I, I was blown away. He even asked it, but he asked Michael Malone. He was like, "What is it about the fact that you guys just play this team well?" And his answer was, "We don't care who we're playing." Yeah, they're not and afraid. The fact that this young of a team already has that in them means there is. This is like you said, just the tip of the iceberg. They're already so much fun. They already get lots of turnovers from other teams. They already play in transition. They already have all the ball movement, and they're going to continue to get better. And this is a five-year things so yes the half court offense this year looks a little slower than last year's but that is the peak of this team when we're talking about how good can they be offensively the answer is literally as good as anyone save houston golden state so man if you put the right people around it, i agree they have man. the firepower to potentially be the same team i agree they had 73 points at half and they would they, they went cold for three minutes i mean that when like they have had 80 point halves already when you're talking about the top futures in the league everyone's going to talk about boston philly minnesota some might say milwaukee if folks are having this discussion and they aren't saying Denver, it's they're they're missing a, a certain angle here. Denver, it's not a guaranteed thing, but they are right up there as far as teams who are sitting pretty for the two to three year window. Yep, that's all I got, man. Dude, I I would say that I'm tired, but all of the caffeine that's raging inside of me, I don't know if I can go to bed anytime soon. Full disclosure: soon. We're literally about to go straight to the bar to get some writing done and to have a drink because some it's been a long writing. day. Yeah. So that is what we're going to do. This podcast will be up soon, and you'll be able to listen to it probably tomorrow, which is actually today, so Friday. Hey. <laughs> all the Twitter questions. Thanks for all the love. Make sure you're also rating the show, subscribing to the show, reviewing the show. Um, th these things matter. They go a long way for us. So you show us support. We'll keep supporting you. We'll throw your questions on the pod. One more. Another thing as well. If there's other mediums where you download your podcast that you do not find the Denver Nuggets Daily Podcast at, hit us up, whether it's at B or B Vote 422 that's B-V-O-G-T-422, or me at TJ McBride NBA, or even at Nuggets underscore Daily on Twitter. Let us know whatever you listen to, and I will get it onto that streaming app. It's taking forever for a couple of them, but they are in the work. So hit us up. We absolutely want to accommodate to all of our fans. But at least for me, that's all I got. Thanks everyone for listening. No, just keep an eye out for that uh, Trey Burke, Ty Lawson pod that should be coming out. Let's get out of here. Rid of shark, give me part of take. Heavy darts to quake. It's okay, all fakes. Get caught by the drop kicks. 
You know the thrill, yes, it's Park Hill, yo, we hit him with the hot wrist. On the go, check the flow, singing woo don't rock. Stop quick, hold the gossip, stop sweating my pockets. I hear the hot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah.